preach for us. Thank you. Uh, the reading is Exodus 28, from the beginning, verse 1, to the end at verse 43. On page 85. Let Aaron, your brother, be brought to you from among the Israelites with his son Nedab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so that they may serve me as priests. Make them use gold and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Make the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen, the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so that it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings and two braided chains of pure gold like a rope and attach the chains to the settings. Fashion a breastpiece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long, a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. For the breastpiece, make braided chains of pure gold like a rope. Make two gold rings for it and fasten them to the two corners of the breastpiece. Fasten the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. 
Make two gold rings and attach them to the other two corners of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam, just above the waistband of the ephod. The rings of the breastpiece are to be tied to the rings of the ephod with blue cord connecting it to the waistband, so that the breastpiece will not swing out from the ephod. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its centre. There shall be a woven edge like a collar around this opening so that it will not tear. Make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet yarn round the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is, be, it is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. <coughs> Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen. The sash is to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sashes, and caps for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honour. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is to be a lasting ordinance <clears throat> for Aaron and his descendants. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Wow, a lot of detail there. Thank you, Joan, for reading that for us. Please keep it open in front of you, and we'll have a look at some of that in a moment. Sorry, sorry, I was just, just checking that everyone's properly dressed this morning. Um, I think there's a couple of people here I might need to have a quiet word with afterwards. And one or two people online I'm not sure about either. But, well, we, we, we don't have a dress code here, do we? We have 
cultural norms, what we expect, and the, the sort of clothes that other people wear. If we get dress code wrong, it can be a bit embarrassing, can't it? I remember uh, one occasion, it was at a um, post-grad ceremony, and I thought it was supposed to be smart casual, only to find all my fellow students were in um, suits and ties. They were all male, by the way, I should add. And it was a bit embarrassing. But what if it's not just embarrassing? What if it's a matter of life and death? What's the dress code for standing before God? Here's a high priest dressed to stand before God. Maybe you've heard the expression, dress to kill. It's not a very nice expression, is it? But we use that to mean somebody who's really dressed up very, really smartly. Somebody wants to impress, wants to make an impression. But what about dressed to live? We're going to look at some of these things this morning. So I'm going to pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, some of these details seem so old, so obscure, and we wonder what on earth it's got to do with us. Why is this detail included in your word? Help us to understand that better and what it means for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So why all this detail? Everything's here for a reason. It, it must seem a bit odd and almost tiresome sometimes to be going through it all and you know, to, to read it out loud will probably add, add to that and I can't I'm sure Joe must have, must have been going through the back of your mind and read it why all this detail what's it what's it doing here well we can't cover it all but we're going to look at a little bit of it but primarily what does it mean for us today so this is what we're going to be looking at today why all these clothes and stuff we're going to look at a vision of redemption you're going to look at our high priest and the clothes that we need. So there's some technical terms which I learned about a few years ago, which sound very odd and very obscure. Many of you will know them. Exegesis and hermeneutics. In other words, what does this Bible text mean in the time it was written? And what does it mean for us today? Well, somebody's very helpfully summarized that in a couple of words. First of all, what? And now what? Those of you in our home group will recognize that from the series we are looking at at the moment in the overview of the Bible. So first of all, what? But we have to have a starting point. Where are we going to start from? Well, this is our starting point. God is holy, but we are not. Mankind is not. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, how can we, unholy, sinful mankind, come into God's presence? And when we look at all this detail, you might not just think, what? But, what? Really? Seriously? All this stuff? We read about an ephod, a breastpiece, with precious stones, names on it, robes with gold bells, pomegranates, a turban with a plate of gold, even requirements about underwear. 
Remember that turban, we're going to come back to that in a moment. There's so much detail here, we could easily get lost. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us about the holiness necessary to come into the presence of Almighty God. God is holy, so, so it makes sense that anyone who comes into his presence must have dignity. We see that in verse 40, in part of the clothes that Aaron has to wear. But why did God make so much fuss about the clothing of the high priest? Well, it was absolutely crucial because the job of the high priest was to bring atonement, that is, making amends, if you like, for the Israel's sin. Look at verse 38. The seal will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt. So we're not just talking about uniform for a show. It's not just to show off. This clothing is related to the job. Now, if ever a man needed to be dressed in the right robes, it was the high priest of Israel. Why was it necessary for him to be dressed this way with all these details? Well, his job, he was appointed to go into the Holy of Holies, into the Holy Tabernacle, into the very presence of God, to represent all the people, all the people of God in that place. So let's just have a brief look at some of these requirements. There isn't time to go into all of them. The ephod, it's a bit like a poncho that you put over your head and it came down roughly to, to the waist. Some drawings have it going a little bit lower than that. But it had pomegranates at the bottom and it's thought that's to indicate fruitfulness. There were bells on it, gold bells, to make little twinkly noises every time the priest moved. But they were important because we read in our passage they were important so he wouldn't die. Now, it's been suggested that maybe this is a, a warning to God that the high priest is coming into his presence and he's coming into the Holy of Holies. But God didn't need a warning. God knows everything about what we're doing even before we know we're going to do it ourselves. But more likely, it was to indicate to all the others who are around and to the priests outside that he was still alive that he was moving around. So what did that mean? Because they were able to hear him moving around, it meant that he, the high priest, was acceptable to God. And not only that, the sacrifices were acceptable. We need to understand just how important this is, because we read elsewhere in Exodus that two of Aaron's sons died in the holy place because they offered God unholy worship. This is serious. This is a, a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death coming before a holy God. Now look down at verse 36. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it. Attach it to the turban. It's beyond the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt. The guilt involved in the sacred gifts 
the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. So that phrase, holy to the Lord, what it signified is that when he went into the presence of God, he was qualified to be there. And that the people he represented, all the people of Israel, they too were holy to the Lord. Now the high priest there was there to present holy sacrifices and the, these sacrifices, they had to be accepted before the people of Israel could be forgiven. Now what was at stake here was the standing of the people of Israel before God. And every time that the priest entered the presence of God, his standing was at stake as well. Because a holy God can only accept a holy sacrifice offered by a holy representative. Now, just imagine what the people felt when they saw the high priest dressed in all these robes and they saw the words on his forehead, holy to the Lord. They'd be thinking, whoa, God, thank goodness. Because this man's holy, I too can be holy before the Lord. God, that high priest, he must have had the most dangerous job in the whole of Israel. So let's look at the what and the what now. What? Mankind was sinful and could not come into the presence of a holy God unless... Today, now what? Mankind is sinful and cannot come into the presence of a holy God unless. Not a lot of difference there, is there really? They're virtually the same, except for the unless. So, we need to look at the unless. So in the Old Testament times of Exodus, the what side, if you like, the unless bit was all about the requirements of the garments that the high priest had to wear so that he and all the people could be accepted into God's holy presence. For the now what, the question for us today is, will God accept us or will he reject us? Will he accept us into his holy presence with all that that means for us? The promise of everlasting joy? Or will he condemn us in his righteousness? That's a question to be answered on the day of judgment. So it's important we are prepared for that day. We need to be properly dressed. So how can a righteous, holy God accept us? Well, to help us understand this a little better, we're going to look at a vision that the prophet Zechariah had. Now, this vision relates directly to what we've just been looking at, the clothes that the high priest needed to wear. So if you could keep your finger in the Bible where it is now and turn to Zechariah chapter 3, you'll find that on page 951. 
Zechariah chapter 3, page 951. This story here helps us to understand what it is to be accepted by a righteous, holy God. And it helps us to connect with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Zechariah chapter 3, page 951. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. Remember the turban we talked about earlier? So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. So it's a strange vision. In this vision, Zechariah sees Joshua, no, not the Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho, who succeeded Moses. This is another Joshua. He sees Joshua standing before the Lord. Once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifices to make amends for the sins of God's people. So Zechariah, he sees the high priest, someone like the man we've been talking about in Exodus. But this priest, he's got a problem. He's got a serious problem. What's that? Well, he's not dressed properly. He's got filthy clothes as he stands before the angel. This is shocking. It's unthinkable that the high priest should come into the presence of a holy God wearing filthy clothes. Now, Bible translations are sometimes a little coy in the words that they use, but the language here is really strong. Filthy here in the original Hebrew means human excrement. Shows the kind of language that the Bible uses to describe the real filthiness of human sin. This is how God, in his holiness, sees our sin. So what Zechariah saw here was a vision of our sinfulness before God. So we, we, often, we tend to minimise our sin, don't we? And we've got various ways for doing that. We might compare ourselves with other people. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. We might try to excuse our sin. Well, there are extenuating circumstances. I mean, I'm, I, I couldn't help it in that situation. I wouldn't have said what I said if you hadn't said what you said to me. Or maybe we get used to our sin, so it becomes unimportant. If you go to a farm sometimes, you feel you want to hold your nose. Oh dear, what a smell. But the farmer doesn't notice it. He's got used to it. And maybe we can get used to our sin. 
We have to think about how our pride looks in the presence of a holy God. The Bible says all our sins are filthy in the sight of a holy God. So here we are, Zechariah sees Joshua, this highly priest, this high priest, he sees what he looks like in the presence of a holy God. But Satan is there to accuse him, to accuse this man Joshua. And he says to God, this man's got no right to be in your presence. You must condemn him. But those reading this at the time would think, oh dear, he's had it. Joshua's a dead man. Remember that Joshua was representing all the people. So if he was filthy, they were filthy. If he was guilty, they were guilty before God. If he was a dead man, they were dead too. So this is a, a picture of humanity, of us, lost in sin. All of us. Do you recognise yourself here? Now this vision given to Zechariah is the gospel story about coming to Jesus in faith. We see here that God doesn't destroy this man, but he demonstrates his love, his grace for sinners by replacing the man's filthy clothes with robes of righteousness. Look at verse 4. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Wow! What words of hope these are for sinners, that there is a way to remove our sin. Can you imagine Joshua standing there, naked, trembling, but God says, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Look at these words from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Isaiah says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. This is the picture of salvation we have in Jesus. It's a story about someone's sins forgiven. It's a story about someone clothed in righteousness. It's a story of someone made righteous in the presence of God. It's a story about Jesus and about our salvation through his perfect life. His sacrifice to atone, to make amends for our sin. Everything we read in Exodus and throughout the Old Testament points us to what's called the priestly work of Jesus. So let's look again at the what and the now what. What? Mankind was sinful and could not come into the presence of a holy God unless the high priest was properly dressed. But for the now what? Mankind is sinful and we cannot come into the presence of a holy God unless we are properly dressed. Still quite similar, aren't they? Not a lot of difference. But the key difference is the high priest. Some words from the book of Hebrews. 
Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our high priest, as our apostle and our high priest. And in chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, at the end of John's Gospel, we read of John's description of the clothing that the soldiers were gambling for. If you're familiar with that story, there's some interesting details here. The clothes were seamless, one piece from top to bottom. Now, why does John mention that? Well, there's no details in the Gospel is wasted. But the man who wore the seamless robe was the high priest. So these details were connected to the Old Testament. It hints at the priestly work of Jesus. Jesus himself is doing the priestly work, although in an amazing and different way, he's offering himself as the sacrifice. The high priest didn't do that. Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice, fully atoning, fully making amends for all the sins of the people of God, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and follow him. Jesus is our holiness. In other words, Jesus is holy to the Lord for us. That's how he carries out his priestly ministry on our behalf. Jesus speaks up for us in our defence. He speaks up for us because Satan accuses us, just like Satan accused Joshua the high priest who wasn't properly dressed. So if we, if we look to Jesus in faith, like the Israelites looked to their high priest, we too will be accepted by God and receive everlasting life. So when Satan accuses us, Jesus speaks up for us. He's our defence lawyer. He's our mediator between us and God. Now, during my working life, I had to appear in court many times as an expert witness for the prosecution of various people and businesses. When I was being cross-examined, I was often accused several times of lying. I saw at first hand defence lawyers speaking up for their clients. Some of them were clearly just going through the motions. You could tell their heart wasn't in it. Especially on one occasion when my evidence proved that the client of the lawyer had lied to him. But if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, his heart is always in it when it comes to speaking in our defence. He proved that by giving his life for us when he died on the cross. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God sees our righteous robes. To come into the presence of our holy God, we must be properly dressed. We must be clothed in robes of righteousness through faith in Jesus. Which leads us with some key questions. Have you known what it is to 
Turn to Jesus for forgiveness so that he will put on you the clothes you need, robes of righteousness. Can you stand before a holy God with Jesus as your defence lawyer? Are you properly dressed? I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we know we're not holy. We know we've no right to come into your presence on our own. But we thank you that through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus in dying for our sin, that we can come to you if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. May each one of us here today know what it is to be clothed in robes of righteousness so that we are holy in your sight. Amen.